Hello, Future Tribe, and welcome to another episode of the podcast. I hope you're all staying safe. Things haven't changed a whole lot since we last talked, uh, for better or worse, but I do hope that you're all safe and things will improve soon. In this week's episode, we are joined by Ellie Deluri, who's actually got her own podcast as well, and uh, she's also a content creator. In this episode, we talk about working in the media and communications industry. Uh, She talks about her background in journalism, how she eventually transitioned into a freelance content creation position, um, and she's worked for companies all over the world. We also talk about the difficulty that she experienced trying to figure out her worth as a freelancer. This is a common thing that uh, I've been through and a lot of people I've spoken to Uh, have been through as well it's always a challenge when you're entering the market to understand especially when you just work for yourself and represent yourself it's very difficult to understand how much to value your services she and i go on to discuss how she had to deal with customers who wanted discounted prices Uh, that's something that i hear about all too often the question of oh what's your budget and the response being well whatever the lowest price is that you want to charge. Uh, We also continue in the episode to talk about discounting your services and really how to handle that and how not to, how to just, I guess, respect yourself and respect your professional experience. Um, Because at the end of the day, it could be exactly what a potential client's looking for and are willing to pay exactly what you're worth to to get that service from you so without further ado i hope you enjoy this episode we'll talk soon welcome to the future tribe podcast where we're all about taking your future to the next level whether it is interviewing guests or unpacking strategies you know we will be talking about getting things done and backing you a fellow optimistic go-getter and now as always here is your host the formidable fortunate and highly favored jermaine muller Hello, Future Tribe. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Thanks for joining us today. And uh, you're joined by Jermaine, of course, and Ali Deluri. Hello, Ali. How are you today? So good. How are you? Good, thank you. Um, tell me, uh, tell us a bit about yourself before we get started. Absolutely. So um, I just turned 30 a month ago. And uh, I know most people when they're 30 years old, they kind of have their life figured out, they know where they're going to live and settle down, etc. But my fiance and I decided to quit our jobs in the States, uh, head over to Australia, buy a big orange van and travel around for a year. So We're doing that. Uh, It's a very recent endeavor, but prior to that, I was a television reporter. I was a combat photographer in the Air Force, um, among a million of other things. But basically, I've been working in the media sector for the better part of a decade, whether as someone in front of the camera or someone behind the camera. And that's uh, currently what I'm doing today. Yeah. So um, while you're driving around Australia in the van, you're still doing work, aren't you? Yes, absolutely. So I mostly do freelance content creation work for travel clients in the U.S. Um, So my primary client is a company called Tastemade Travel. Uh, They have headquarters in L.A. and New York City, but they basically create travel content 
and they employ freelancers who travel for a living to create that content for them. So I'm kind of mostly creating Australian content for them, um, but it's been great. We've done shoots uh, highlighting Melbourne, Adelaide, Port Lincoln, Coffin Bay, Coober Pedy, uh, wow. many other cities. Wow. So it's been so cool and it's very cool as an American to showcase that kind of Australian country, culture to Americans uh, who've taken that content in the States. Yeah, just, yeah. Like I said, it's been so cool and it's, it's, it's wild. It's, uh, we've done some work for clients within Australia, uh, like Tiny Away. It's a tiny home company. Oh, uh, yep. Mm-hmm. I think technically they're based in Singapore, but they have homes in Sydney and Melbourne that are gorgeous. Um, so highlighting the tiny house movement here. And then we actually, um, I recently did a stint for a team Rubicon in response to the Australian bushfires. I was with them for a week uh, as their primary photographer. So I was documenting uh, some of the, the stories and the people who lost everything. And I created photo and video content to remind the rest of the world that they still need help and they still need volunteers to, to help with that effort. Um, disaster relief is something that I have con- covered on more than one occasion, unfortunately. Uh-huh. You see the same thing uh, within the media. It's it's really, there's exponential decline in coverage once the disaster is over. It's so over, yeah. Pass, once the fires pass, it, it seems like the coverage kind of moves on and people naturally kind of forget that these people have well, still They're still rebuilding. Everything. Yeah. And they're yeah. still, you know, 12 months down the line, they're still, they're still, some of those people are almost still back at where they were 12 months prior, despite the lack of media coverage and the, despite the lack of attention, but going into, you know, so you found yourself in this sort of freelance content creation sort of position. Um, but that, that didn't come from, you know, a lack of experience. In, in fact, I would say you've had a decade or so of experience um, in the sector. Um, so you were doing, have, have you always, so you did reporting photography as well? Is that something that you've always done or is that something that you've sort of picked up recently? Um, give me an idea of what your expertise was um, before you've, you know, put yourself into this position. Definitely. So uh, when I was 20 years old, uh, I was hired as a uh, sideline reporter for a Big Ten Network affiliate, uh, which is like a sports network within the United States. And um, I was very young, and that was my, really my first exposure to being in front of the camera. So I thought for the longest time, like, this is where I'm meant to be. I'm meant to be reporting on a variety of stories, whether it's sports, whether it's investigative journalism, whatever. So uh, I, did, I started in sports journalism uh, at a very young age, and then after that, I transferred to uh, it's just general news reporting. So I worked as a television reporter for an ABC affiliate uh, mm-hmm. within one of the states, uh, Minnesota, small, very close to Canada. Not sure if you know, but uh, it was like the, the top most city. So it was very cold and very uncomfortable. But uh, I was one of their reporters up there for, for a little while. And I just, you know, it's not that I didn't like it. I I very much enjoyed it, but uh, I'm also very creative. And I found that I would watch uh, my reports and say, ah, you know, I would maybe have filmed that a little bit differently. I maybe would have focused on a different angle. Um, You know, as a reporter, you're still kind of building the story and you're still interviewing people and and sharing that story with, with a huge population. But 
there is a creative element that you miss out on because uh, I always had a photographer with me uh, who was kind of piecing the story together overlaid with whatever script I produced. So I got very interested in kind of the behind the scenes work at video editing, uh, photography, and uh, very shortly after I was... Where were we? Um, I guess going, going to your transition into photography and videography. Yeah, yeah. So um, after I was doing news reporting, I served in the Air Force uh, as a public affairs officer. So that's essentially someone that is an expert in public relations, crisis communication, strategic communication. So it's kind of the other side of the same coin when it, when, in terms of media and, and communication overall. So um, instead of being the reporter, I was now the person who was coordinating for reporters to you know, report on a certain angle within the Air Force story that I wanted to share. Mm -hmm. So it was a very different uh, type of media, but it was still very interesting to me and I learned a lot. Um, but I still didn't feel totally fulfilled. So I applied for a job within the Air Force called Combat Camera. It's exactly the way that it sounds. I was essentially in charge of training combat videographers and combat photographers to document war. Um, wow. So that was super fulfilling to me. That was an aspect of storytelling that I was very passionate about, um, but still coupled with the aspect of content creation that I was really looking for since I started my journey in media. So I got to train these people how to go to these austere locations and document um, stories just around the world. And so I, I did a lot of time in Africa, in Europe. Um, and so that fulfilled like my travel itch. That's when mm -hmm. I realized that I was passionate about travel. But that's when I really knew that, hey, I think I belong behind the camera. Like I, I'm training these people to do this thing that I am jealous of, that I want to do. Want to do, yeah. Exactly. So I got out of the military full time in 2017, I believe. And uh, from there, I was like, all right, I'm going to I'm going to take a walk on the wild side a little bit. I'm going to get my feet wet in freelance content creation. And that's really when you saw kind of the rise of creatives, because when I mm -hmm. went to college, being a creative wasn't a career field. It well, was very 10 years ago, being sort of a, a content creator wasn't sort of a thing that you did it was more it's sort of like how gaming's taken that whole new angle now it's streaming as well it's it, it was more considered something that you do uh to keep yourself busy something that it's almost an excuse to not have a job or it used to be but now you see you know people making people competing with ceos and cfos for you know in terms of salaries um from just creating content or, or whole companies built from that. So, um, so you jumped into freelancing in 2017 and how was that experience? What was that like? Oh, it was so hard. You know, like if people talk about the grind and I was so lucky for most of my life, I was employed with the company. I had steady income benefits. When you start as a freelancer, especially starting kind of late as a freelancer, um, man, it's a struggle, you know, like you're doing it gig by gig. Um, you're still trying to figure out what your worth is. So I had all this experience, but it wasn't necessarily in content creation. It was in literally everything else mm -hmm. that lets content creators, that employs content creators, etc. So uh, I didn't know my worth. Like the first year I was like, oh, you want me to create a five minute video that takes four hours? Yeah, I'll do that for 10 bucks. Like I had <laughs> yeah. no idea. Yeah. I had no yeah. idea. Um, 
So I had to figure that out and figure kind of out the hard way, you know, a lot of companies nowadays, they, they work so often with content creators that they kind of understand the system and they understand that people don't necessarily value money anymore. They value access. They value things for free. So uh, for a while, I had a ton of jobs with clients, but I wasn't getting money from them. I was just getting mm-hmm. like free wine or free accommodation or free, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of, sort of in-kind payments. Yeah, exactly. And I thought it was cool for a second. I was like, man, this is, I get to do all this cool stuff. I get to travel, but then my mortgage bill would come in and I'm like, okay, well, free wine's not for that, you know? Like, how do yes. I? How do I make this sort of a thing? This episode was made possible thanks to the following supporters. Future Theory, websites, marketing and design that make your goals come true. Proudly based in Canberra, Australia. Visit us online at futuretheory.com.au. Yeah. So how long do you think it took you to, um, and, and are you in a position now where your freelancing is, you know, is enough to sort of fund your life, would you say? I would say that it's close. Um, so a lot of the clients that I work with now, I, I, now that I understand my worth and, and what my content is worth, I'm able to give an accurate quote for, okay, this is what I think you can pay for this. Um, but really, it's all based on relationships. So when I was first starting out as a freelance photographer, content creator, whatever, 2017, I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't know people who did it full time. Like I was just, I was struggling. I wasn't making money. And then I picked up a gig with a company called Semester at Sea. And they were looking for a social media coordinator and a photographer to um, sail around the world for four months. So that is like the dream job, right? Uh, I was like, I made it. This is great. (laughs) Um, But they paid like barely anything because then they were like we're basically paying for you to sail around the world isn't that enough and so I'm doing this gig I'm like I'm still traveling but I'm still not making money like how do I bridge this gap and uh one of the women who worked with me who was on my team on that ship she ended up getting a job for taste made travel and that's how I got that in it was the relationship that I built on this uh just whatever organization sail around the world trip i met the one person who got me an in with one client and then Mm -hmm. i would meet someone else who would get me an in with another client and um like i just did a gig for team rubicon uh total volunteer wasn't getting paid for it for their australian bushfire relief and i just got a call yesterday where they're like hey if you do one more month of volunteer, we can offer you a paid position after. So it's like mm-hmm. all of these relationships that you just, you don't think about. Um, but really that it's not, it's not what you know, it's who you know, truly. Yes. And yeah. I yeah. I mean, relationships are sort of, I look back through my trajectory as well. And it's often this one thing, you know, this one friend who's, whose parent, um, had a boss who needed this, who, who then sort of trickled down and said, Hey, Jermaine tap on the shoulder. Do you want to help this, you know, very removed individual out? And then that leads to something else. Um, and, you know, I think we're talking about two important things here. One is, um, not just sort of understanding your value, but also not overstating your value and understanding that your value transaction, just because you can take photos, for example, 
doesn't make you, you know, just as valuable as anyone else who can take a photo for a, for a client. Um, and by that, I mean, I being in a creative field as well on, on my end, something I hear about often is, you know, know your worth, just charge for charge a client for what you're worth. But you get these people just getting into graphic design or just getting into marketing and they're charging, you know, just as much as someone who, who has five, 10 years experience under their belt. Mm-hmm. When in reality, you know, they're thinking that they're, they're, they're charging what they're worth, but they're not, they're charging what someone else is worth. Um, yeah. In fact, I would argue that these people should be working for free, whether it's a volunteering or, um, or, you know, just subsidized costs. Mm-hmm. Um, but they end up not wanting to do sort of the hard work to, I think, build out the build out, I guess, that cachet behind themselves to say, yes, I'm worth this much. Just like you, you went through that journey of understanding that, okay, you know, four hours for 10 bucks, not only is that next to no money, but the four hours is actually more like eight because they'll, they'll have revisions, they'll have changes and I'm not going to be able to charge extra for it. So I'm, I'm essentially doing myself a disservice, but those things need to happen through that journey. Um, but the, the, the next point is the fact of um, networking and how powerful networking is and can be because um, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're now sort of working throughout Australia for these companies in the U S creating content for them and essentially using the relationships that you've built out over the last 10 years to um, make your current life and current lifestyle a reality. Is that correct? I mean, absolutely. Um, And kind of going back to what you were saying about people who just enter the industry uh, charging the same as people who've been in it for a while and kind of judging their work based on other people's work. Another thing that I really struggled with and that I do still struggle with um, is you get people that undercut you, right? So if you tell a client, I'm worth 200, you'll get someone in there that says, well, I can do the same for half the price. And then the client goes to them and you lose that client. So it's like a lot of chucking and jiving with the the industry (laughs) a little bit because you're like, okay, I really want this client. I want to build this relationship. Like how, how much do I undersell myself so that I get the client so that I can build that relationship later? And what is that worth to me? And that's something that, I mean, you probably experienced. And it's still something that I, 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 you know, something that we go through the business and we've we've found ways you know providing very um specific discounts for example or providing um rather than discounting what i like to do is offer more work on top that is not charged for which sounds like a discount but rather than cutting our price we're just offering work we're offering bonus work um but you make a good point about sort of people coming in and undercutting you have you do you still experience that or i guess um do you still come across that and do you have you found a way to work with it or against it or you know combat that sort of thing what do you what do you do yeah so usually I mean not usually it doesn't happen that often but sometimes I will get clients where I say okay I can produce this for you this is how much it's going to cost um this is the amount of time that I'm going to dedicate for you and this project and you'll get people that try to call your bluff a little bit and they'll say well I have a friend who I know can do it for this much and so that, mm-hmm. at that point, it's just a conversation. And for me, for them to kind of whip out those cards early on in the conversation, it shows that maybe I don't actually want a relationship with this client. You know what I mean? Like if they're already doing that kind of stuff, 
then maybe I don't need them as much as I thought that I did. And maybe this is something that I can pass on and still maintain, you know, my standard of like. Standard. Yeah. And, and one thing that I've found freeing and it's, it's very hard to do in theory, it's very easy, but, but in reality, it's very difficult is, is, sort of changing that perception of your verse, you know, instead of them paying you, um, you providing them a service and them, them sort of paying you for that service. It's, it's sort of flipping that you're doing them a service and you're doing them um, something rather than the other way around, um, which puts you in this position of, you know, not just, is this the kind of person I want to do this work for? And, you know, essentially you're doing someone a favor, um, but for money. Um, but um, the other thing is also, is this the kind of work that I want to do for, you know, my portfolio? Is this the kind of work that, you know, if, um, if I accept A and B is a better thing and B was to come past my, I'm not able to do B because I've just accepted A. Is that a is that a transaction that I'm I'm happy with? Um, now it's easier said than done because in theory or in that theory you only do the work that you love to do. But that's assuming that you don't have bills and you don't sort of get squeezed financially and don't get desperate. Um, but I think personally the the challenge there is that you've got to continue to market yourself, continue to network, continue to build out almost like this this waiting list of people um, or at least this browsing list of people who are sort of window shopping. And then, then it just becomes a matter of, I guess, building out your, your marketing funnel. Um, but that's sort of going down a, down a different journey um, for you. How have you sort of made it happen? Is it really just having constant, these constant clients that you'll get work from and then doing supplementary services and getting supplementary jobs around that? Is that sort of how you've, you manage to make things work? Yeah. I mean, I, I've now learned what it is that I'm passionate about in terms of the kind of content that I'm the most happy creating. Um, when I first started as a freelancer, I remember I got like a newborn job, like a newborn photographer job. And I was like, okay, like, let's just see how this goes. But I realized very quickly, I'm like, I hate this. I hate babies. <laughs> I especially hate babies that are were just born and do nothing but yes. cry. And I'm the photographer and I'm in the hospital and I have a cranky mom. And like, oh, I was like, I, okay, definitely don't want to do this. I did a wedding for a friend once. And I was like, okay, definitely can't do weddings. You know, you have all sorts of personalities and family politics. And all of a sudden you you're more than just a photographer. You're like the emergency. Oh, bride needs this. Groom needs this. Hey, you just standing there, go get it. So I learned very quickly. I'm like, okay, this is the kind of stuff that I don't want to do. Um, and I, I realized I was like, okay, I want to focus my efforts on travel. So once I learned the kind of content that I loved creating, it was so much easier for me to actually invest time in the clients that I eventually wanted to work for. So Taste mm -hmm. Me Travel was obviously already so high on my list and it worked out that I knew someone within the company who could vouch for my skills based on a, a prior engagement that we had. Um, but yeah, it's, it's so much easier, I think, as a freelancer, once you really know what you want to do to actually hone your skills within that kind of um, genre, I guess you can say. Thank you for listening to the Future Tribe podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review on your podcast app.